The following audio is from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, as Kenan mentioned earlier, my name is Steve Winstead. I'm one of the pastors here at Harvest Church. Now, figure if you're going to do karaoke, you got to go with the king of pop, right? You got to go all in. Yeah. So um, anyway, uh, <laughs> believe me, you don't want to hear it. <laughs> a different, th- different theme for a different time. Well, hey, um, it is good to be here with you all. We are in a series titled, A Better Life, Walking by the Spirit. And, and you may hear us say this a lot at Harvest. We say we are a gospel-driven, disciple-making church. And what we mean by that is everything about our lives, about our church's life, about our individual lives, is to be driven by the good news that we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, by Jesus Christ. That should be our, our, our driving force in our life. And not only that, it leads us to follow Jesus' strategy of making disciples, that we invest in others as God allows us to and gives us gifting to. And really the only way that we can live a gospel-driven, disciple-making life is by walking by the Spirit. It's not something we can put our own effort and make happen. It's as we walk by the Spirit of God that He allows this to happen. Now, Kenan mentioned earlier our uh, pastoral team. We've been meeting on a weekly basis to discuss sermon, and uh, we've read books together. We've looked at commentaries together. And I remember when we first talked about doing the fruit of the Spirit, my thought was, you know, I I've heard the fruit of the Spirit, I know it, I've got it memorized, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, my kids know the song, you know, it's sort of one of those things that check, you got it, right? Well, as we dove into it, I realized how far I am from having anywhere near got it. And secondly, I found myself craving the fruit of the Spirit to be more evident in my life. I found myself wanting to taste it more in my life and for other people to experience the taste of the fruit of the spirits in their life. So my hope is that as we go through this, that you'll be going, man, I want to walk in the spirit more and allow the fruit of the spirit to flow through me more where others experience that. Now, Paul, um, in writing this, some would say he made a grammatical error almost. He wrote the fruit singular of the spirit and then he lists nine different things but that's intentional he didn't say the fruits of the spirit he said fruit it is a singular fruit yet it manifests itself in nine different aspects that we're going to see paul also talks about walking or the works of the flesh in comparison to the fruit of the spirit that there's these things the works of the flesh that our flesh craves to do And what we're going to see is the fruit of the Spirit is not something that we can work to attain. If you walk out of here and try to treat this like a checklist going, doing well on this one, not doing well on this one, need to improve here, you missed it. You can't work these. We moved into our uh, house a few years ago. Down at the end of our street, they were building a new building, a 10-story international paper building. And we literally got to see it start, break ground, watch it go up, up, up. And we could walk out in our front yard and we could watch the cranes. And we watched this building literally grow. It was growing. And we watched this process to where there's this huge building at the end of our street that we can see. Now that type of growth is what we call mechanical growth. 
It happens by work. Someone came and worked and built that building and it grew and it grew and it grew. Well, a couple weeks ago, my family, we were on a, went to a family reunion. And some people hadn't seen my kids in a while. Two or three years. Can you guess what they said when they saw my kids? My, how they have grown. Look how big they are. Now, Margaret and I look at our kids and go, they look the same as they did yesterday and the day before that. We have to go back and look at pictures and go, oh, look at them a year ago. They've grown. We can measure their growth by looking back and seeing that they have actually grown. And that's how the fruit of the Spirit grows in our lives. It doesn't happen by our works. It's not mechanical growth. It's something that as we abide in Christ, as we walk by the Spirit, God grows it in our life. And as we walk by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit should be more evident in your life a year from now. And maybe more evident a year after that. And it continues to grow in our life. And as we mentioned, there's nine aspects. And today we're going to look at the aspect of peace. Peace. And we're going to do so by looking at an encounter in Jesus' life. We'll be in John chapter 14, verse 27. Only one verse today, but it is a fabulous verse that we're going to look at. So feel free to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14, verse 27. And as you're going there, let me, let me just give you a little bit of context of what's going on in Jesus' life. It's the last week of his life, commonly called the Passion Week. In fact, it's the last night of his life. He's about to go to the cross the next day. It's Thursday night. And he's in this room with his 12 disciples called the Upper Room. And it's there, he's told them these things. He said, one of you, you're going to betray me. One of you is going to deny me. He's uh, shared communion, the last supper with them. He's washed their feet. And then he gives this nearly three-chapter discourse called the Upper Room Discourse. And in it, he tells them things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He tells him also that he is going away, but when he goes, he's going to send the helper. The Holy Spirit's going to come and abide in them and lead them. That he'll send a helper. He tells him also that he is the vine and we are a branch. And if we remain in that vine, we will bear fruit. And that's the key to us having a fruitful life. We have to walk in the Spirit. We have to abide in Christ. He's the vine. We're the branch. And through that, we will bear fruit. In the midst of telling them all these things, in the middle of it, in John chapter 14, verse 27, he says this. And if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God. And all God's people said, praise be to God. You may be seated. Now here is Jesus. The next day, he is going to go to the cross. He's going to be severely beaten, hang on a cross, and die. And not only that, I don't think that's what he's most, uh, would be most concerned about. He is going to take the weight of the world, the sins of the world. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that he literally becomes sin. And that's going to occur the next day. And here he is talking to his disciples about peace. That he's going to leave them with the peace. 
Now he says it's not as the world gives, and the, the world likes to define peace this way, is to be without, absence of something. That peace is the absence of conflict. It's the absence of, of stress, of anxiety, of trouble, of unrest. That's how the world loves to define conflict. That it's that, that just the things that make me fearful, the things that make me anxious, the things that make me depressed, that those things are gone, and that's what it means to have peace. Well, Jesus' disciples sitting there in that upper room, that wouldn't have been their thoughts. I can imagine their thought would have went back to the first high priest back in the book of Numbers, a guy named Aaron, and the ironic blessing that he gives that goes like this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And from that point forward, the Jewish people would always use that term to greet one another. The Hebrew word for peace. Shalom. They'll greet each other with shalom. If you go to Israel today, you need to be ready to say shalom a lot. In the South, we like to say shalom, y'all. And greet each other with that. Now, when they greet each other with shalom, they're not just saying this. Hey, stop arguing with your wife. Or, hey, stop causing trouble on the street. Or, quit just being a, a pain in the synagogue. you got to quit that. No, they're not saying that. What it is a wish for, when they say shalom, it's a wish for completeness. A wish for contentment. A wish for fulfillment, for satisfaction. In other words, it's a wish that may everything that is good from God flow through your life. May you taste that. May you be blessed. May you taste peace. Now, the New Testament word for peace is Irene. And what that carries the idea is a restfulness for the soul. Doesn't that sound good? A restfulness for the soul. Well, Tim Keller defines it this way, and I'm going to put this on the screen. I think it's a good definition for us today. He says, peace is confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God rather than your own. That peace is confidence and rest in the wisdom and the sovereignty of God rather than my own wisdom. Okay? Now, the opposite of peace would be this. Anxiety. Worry. So if you find that you taste worry in your life, and worry, we know it because we'll have a problem and we'll think about it and we'll run through it in our head again and again and again and again. We're just meditating on this problem, that's worry. If you find that you experience worry and anxiety, you're not tasting peace in your life. Perhaps as much as you'd like to. I'll tell you, for me, as I've gone through this this week, I've been like, I want to taste peace more in my life than I do. I haven't arrived on, on this yet. I don't know if I'll ever arrive on it, but I want to taste it. I crave to taste peace more in my life than I taste worry and anxiety and those things. Now, Jesus, he speaks of a peace, and he speaks of a singular peace, but he speaks of it impacting three different relationships. One peace, but it brings peace between us and God. Jesus' peace brings peace between us and God. It also will bring peace between us and others and, and even the world around us, that we can rest in the midst of the chaos around us. And thirdly, it's going to bring peace within, an internal peace. Notice the, the first thing he says is, he says, peace I leave you, my peace I 
give to you. And Jesus says he leaves a peace with us, and that is speaking of a peace with us and God. Now, here's the, the reality. In Romans 10, Romans chapter 5, verse 10, it says that we were enemies of God. That's our starting point. We are enemies of God, and God is holy, he's perfect, he's other than, and here we are as enemies. And in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this. It says, therefore, since we have justified been justified by faith, we have peace with God through, Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. That because we've been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. But it comes through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to spell this out a little bit more. Uh, Colossians 1.20 gives us a little more insight. It says, And through him, meaning Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things whether on heaven or on earth, by making peace by his blood shed on the cross. That it was Jesus' blood shed on the cross that has made a way for us who are enemies of God and God who is holy to experience peace. It's through his blood that Jesus, perfectly righteous, he perfectly tasted peace with God his Father, and he gives that to us. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now notice this, it says, For it is by grace. Now what is grace? Grace is what makes Christianity unique among every other belief system on the face of the earth. Every other belief system is bound up in works and performance. Christianity is about grace. It means this, we are enemies of God, God is holy. And there's no way you can be good enough to become holy like God is holy. But Jesus was. He was perfectly righteous, perfectly holy. And he died a death he didn't deserve, took our sin upon him. And by doing that, he comes and he offers us not what we deserve, and we deserve eternal separation from God. That's what we all deserve, but he offers us what we don't deserve, which is eternity with God by his blood shed on the cross, offering us peace between us and God. And notice he says what? It's a gift. This is the gift of God now, my wife and I like to give our kids birthday presents. It's a fun tradition. Many, most of you probably give birthday presents. But the birthday presents are not based upon how good our kids did in school, whether they've done their chores, whether they're performing and behaving. No, it's a gift. We, if, if it was any other way, it'd be a, a wage or it'd be a reward. No, it's a gift. We give it to you. And here's what he says, that through God's grace, he gives us a gift that gift is reconciliation with God Almighty through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. And when you receive a gift, all you have to do is open it. To receive it, you open it. And here's how we receive the gift of grace through Jesus Christ. Is it's by faith. Do you see that? It's by faith that we trust that this gift is good. We trust that we can rest in Jesus Christ. We trust that he is sufficient, that he has paid the price for our sins. So we receive this gift that God has given us. And in this gift, we experience peace between us and God. Now Jesus goes on to say that he gives peace, not as the world gives do I give to you. That the peace that he gives is different from what the world offers. The world wants to offer a peace out here. 
a, a circumstantial peace. A few years ago, my wife and I were traveling back from visiting family in Kentucky. That's where my uh, family lives. And as we were uh, driving back, we had three kids at the time. Now, at one point, we had three kids in diapers. I'll tell you, that is crazy. Three kids in diapers all at the same time. And uh, we were driving back, and one kid had a dirty diaper, so he started to get upset. And we had a baby sleeping next to him, and he woke the baby up, and the baby started to get upset. And then in the back, our oldest was trying to figure out how to work the DVD player, but he was having problems, and he was getting upset. And my wife turns around to help them. Now, something to know about my wife, if she turns around in a car for more than five seconds, she's car sick. She is done. In fact, almost any time we go anywhere, I'll let her drive because I'm going to be turning around helping the kids. But occasionally we'll be like, you know what, the kids are okay, they're resting, so I'll drive and she'll be riding and that's where we were. And she turns around and she's getting sick. And the kids are whining and making lots of noise. And it's, there's just no peace in our car. It's loud. And we just want to get some rest. And here's what I know. It's the heat of summer. But I've mapped out every single indoor playground between Memphis, Tennessee, and Kentucky. I know where they all are. And we are on that stretch of road between Milan, Tennessee, and Jackson, Tennessee. And there is an indoor playground at McDonald's. And if we can make it there, we're going to get some peace and quiet. The kids will be able to run around and play. We'll be able to get something to drink. It'll, it'll, it'll be okay if we can just make it to that McDonald's. Well, I start to step on the gas a little bit to, to make it to McDonald's. And there's this place in Milan where they take a picture of your car and mail it to you. And it's only $50 to get it. So I, I received one of those when I got back home. And as we pull into Jackson, we pull up to the stoplight and behold... There should be McDonald's. But in its place is a pile of dirt. They have literally leveled the entire McDonald's. And we look at each other, and I don't know what we did first, but it was some kind of mixture of laughing and crying at this situation because we knew we had to go to the outdoor Chick-fil-A and cook. Jackson's Chick-fil-A is outdoors. It's hot. But here's the thing. As silly as that sounds, that's the way the world wants us to have peace. It's always circumstantial. It's out here. It's external. If we we can get peace out here, then maybe we'll feel some rest inside. So for many of us, we may seek some rest for our souls and some peace and some pretty silly things. It could be trying to rest by watching Netflix. It could be some hobby we have. Some things that aren't bad. It could be some things that are very destructive like addictions and things. But we search out here in this world trying to find rest. Trying to find peace. And that's how our world always thinks it happens. But it doesn't take long turn on the news to realize the world can't figure peace out here. It doesn't happen. When you turn on the news and you see rioting in our streets regularly. You see nearly every month some terrorist activity You see uh, regularly uh, beheadings on uh, the news. Uh, They're talking about these awful things that happen. You do not see rest and peace. You don't see peace in our world through their efforts. See, we have an absence of peace. We have an absence of individual peace. We have an absence of family peace. We have uh, uh, families falling apart, families disintegrating. The world hasn't brought peace. We may turn to court systems hoping that a court can bring peace, but they don't bring peace. 
We may turn to a worldly counselor hoping that they can give us some advice, but if they don't point us to Jesus, we're not going to find peace. We may turn to our politicians who fly all over this world trying to bring peace, but guess what? They can't bring peace. In fact, uh, a historian named Will Durant said in the last 3,500 years, there's only been 300 years where there's been any semblance of peace in our world. Our world can't figure out this peace. And so often we buy into that. We think if things are right out here, then I'll experience peace. So people will move from job to job hoping they'll have, find peace. They'll move from city to city. If I can just go to another place. They'll move from church to church, hoping if I just get the right church, if everybody out here just behaves and they're peaceful, then I'll have peace in here. We'll move from group to group. We'll move from place to place, hoping it'll be different. And the problem is in here. Peace can only come from God. Situations aren't going to bring us peace. And we can live at greater peace with other people when we stop expecting them to give us something that they can't deliver on. Jesus says, He gives peace not as the world gives, does he give to us. And then he says this, Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Let me ask, is your heart troubled? Do you ever taste a troubled heart? Do you ever experience fear? Is that something you taste? And he says, He's come to put an end to that troubled heart. That's what his peace is meant to do. And this only happens, he's going to talk about it in John 15, as we abide in him. That we can't manufacture this. We can't work it. It only comes as we abide in Jesus and he produces this fruit in our lives. He's going to do it, not us. We can't make it happen. In fact, in John chapter 16, verse 33, near the end of this teaching that he's given to his disciples in the upper room the night before he's going to die, leaving them some of the most important things he could give them. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's what he's saying. In him you have peace. He's saying everything he's told these disciples is so that they can experience peace between them and God, peace between them and others, and peace within, and taste that in their lives, that he has left them with a peace. And then he gives them a promise. In this world, you'll have tribulation. That's a promise Jesus makes. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. Your hopes will be dashed. People will disappoint you. People will get sick. People will die. You'll lose jobs. People will be against you because of your faith. We're going to see that all sorts of things can happen. But I'll tell you what, in my life, the thing that disturbs the peace is often not these big things that we would quote call big things. It's the little daily things. These things that are just disturbers of peace. Maybe it's a situation at home or at the, or at the workplace or uh, something else going on in your life. But it, it, it's not so big that you feel like you need to take it to God. You can just keep it back here. I can figure this one out, God. You don't need to worry about it, God. I've got it. And I worry about it. And I churn over it in my head and my mind over and over and over again. And it's those things that so often disturb the peace that God has for me to taste. It's the daily disturbers. 
But Jesus tells us he has overcome the world. He's overcome it. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, it's going to give us a little more insight into uh, understanding peace. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice what he says. Don't be anxious about anything. Hey, I haven't figured that one out. I'm nowhere near it. I get anxious about stuff. But he says, he tells me, I don't need to be anxious about anything. Why? Because I can bring everything to him in prayer. He's saying the key to us experiencing this peace, this peace which surpasses, which transcends all understanding, this peace that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, is bringing things to him in prayer. That's what he's talking about. Now here's a fear I have in saying that. That we'll try to treat this prayer like some magic bullet, some Hail Mary thing where we go, God, I'm just going to throw this to you, give me peace. But Jesus talks about abiding in Him, and as we abide in Him, He produces it. You see, it may take time. It's not like that building going up by works. No, it's like my children growing. I don't see my children growing, but I know they have grown. And perhaps you'll be growing the fruit of the Spirit. That's what we want, to grow the fruit of the Spirit. But we won't necessarily always see it. But maybe a year down the road, You'll taste more of the fruit of the Spirit in your life and others will see it more. Maybe two years, maybe three years. It'll happen as you, what? Abide in Christ and as you bring everything to Him in prayer. You see, for me, there's all these things I hold back because I just don't want to disturb God with them. Or really, more than that, it's because I think I got them covered. I've got it. It's the things that I go up. That's too big for Steve. I'll take that to God. But if it's little, I'm keeping it. And he says, bring everything to him in prayer. That's what the scriptures tell us. And not only that, so often we'll pray as this little island by ourselves. It's just me and God. But Jesus says, peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you. And in the Greek, that is a plural you, meaning my peace I leave with you all. Peace I give to you all. What he's saying to them is, yes, it's for you as individuals, but it's also for you as a collective. That as we pray together, as we bear one another's burdens, we taste this more and more. That's why we're constantly as a church saying, hey, get a place where you are known. Don't be out here an unknown person. No, get in a group. Get somebody that can disciple you, that can invest in you. Be in a place where you are known and somebody can be praying with you for that everything. Okay? And we're going to start to taste it more and more and more in our life. In fact, that night Jesus, after he they celebrated the Last Supper, he had given the Upper Room Discourse, they go out and they leave the city and they come to a garden and Jesus takes three of his disciples with him to pray with him. And many of you remember, they fall asleep. But Jesus prays with God and get the intensity of his prayer to the point of sweating blood. He prays with God to the point of sweating blood. And then he says this. Not my will, but yours be done. 
Do you say that with everything? I'll tell you, I'll hold something back and I'll be like, God, I've got this one. Or I may give it to him and say, God, I've got this, but here you, you've got it, but fix it the way I want it fixed. Instead of going, God, not my will, but yours be done. And as we rest in that, as we go, God, I give this to you. And for me, oftentimes, I'll give it to him and I'll take it right back. Give it to him and take it right back. But it's as we hand it to him that we taste this peace ever increasing in our lives. I heard a story of a man named Horatio Spatford. I don't meet many Horatios. In fact, I've never met an Horatio. So if you know any, I'd love to meet him. But he lived in the 1800s. And Horatio was a lawyer. And he was a very successful lawyer. And therefore, he started to invest in real estate all along Chicago's Michigan Lake. And he became a very successful businessman. He was also good friends with a famous evangelist named D.L. Moody. Dwight Moody. Some of you have heard of him. And he gave generously to Moody's ministry. And then the tribulations of the world hit. First, his son died unexpectedly. And then the great Chicago fire of 1871 burned up his entire real estate fortune and everything was gone. Well, sometime later, he was starting to try to put the pieces back together. And his friend, D.L. Moody, said, I'm going over to Great Britain, uh, going over to do some ministry. Why don't you and your wife and your four daughters, why don't y'all come with me? Y'all need some time away from Chicago. So they decided to go. Well, as they were about to leave, Horatio got called away on urgent business and sent his wife and four daughters on ahead. As they were crossing the Atlantic, their ship collided with another ship and they sank within 12 minutes. And as the rescue boats circled the water looking for survivors, they found a woman barely alive and four young girls who had not survived. And they took Mrs. Spatford to Great Britain. And when she got there, she sent her husband a two-word telegram. Saved alone. And Horatio Spatford boarded the next ship he could get on to head to Great Britain. And as he was crossing the Atlantic, the captain called him up onto the deck and said, Mr. Spatford, I want you to know we're about at the spot where the collision occurred. And Horatio walked out on the deck of that boat And he wrote these words. He said, When peace, like a river, attendeth my soul, when sorrow and sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And that song would go on to be one of the most famous hymns that we sing today. How could Horatio say this in the midst of all the tribulations of the world, all this chaos? How in that moment can he go when peace like a river flows? It's because his confidence and his rest was in the sovereignty and wisdom of God rather than his own. He had confidence and rest in the sovereignty and wisdom of God, not his own. And at that moment, because this man abided in Christ, he tasted the fruit of the Spirit and the aspect of peace. And he could say, it is well with my soul. 
I don't have to understand why all this is happening, how this is going to come together, how this is going to get there for God's good, but I can trust his wisdom and his sovereignty rather than my wisdom and my own power. He trusted in God. And I pray for us that we be people who taste the fruit of the Spirit more in our lives. That that'd be a, a great joy in our lives to taste these aspects. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That we taste it increasingly. But let me tell you, it's not something, again, you can work for. It's only as you abide in Christ, as you remain in Him, that He produces it in our lives. Tony and the band are going to come up in just a moment. And they're going to play that song, It Is Well With My Soul. And as they sing it, feel free to join in and sing. Feel free to sit and reflect on the words of this song. Feel free to sit and ask yourself, what is it that keeps me from tasting the fruit of peace in my the fruit of the spirit, the aspect of peace in my life as much as I would like to? And give that to God. If you feel like standing and singing, do so. If you just want to sit in your seat and be silent, do so. And then after that, I'll come up and lead us in a time of communion. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you that uh, your word is true, that it does not return void. And Lord, I pray that we would truly have the joy of tasting the fruit of the Spirit in our lives as we abide in you. Lord, help us to, to abide and to rest and to come to you with everything, to commune with you, to have fellowship with you. Lord Jesus came so that we could have peace with you. May we live that out. And Lord, uh, I thank you for all of us who have received that gracious gift through faith of reconciliation with you through the blood of Jesus. Now may the fruit of the Spirit become more full in our lives. And Lord, if there are any here who have not tasted and received that gift, that gracious gift you offer us of reconciliation with you through your son, I pray that they would open and receive that gift by faith, trusting that you are enough, that their works aren't good enough, that their efforts aren't good enough, but Jesus, perfect and holy, paid the price for them. And may they taste peace that surpasses all understanding. And may they say, it is well with my soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Harvest Church in Memphis, Tennessee. Feel free to make copies and distribute this content, but please do not charge for those copies.